Well, you are probably familiar with the, uh, the famous words of John Newton. That name probably rings a bell. You might know his song, Amazing Grace. He said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved, what? A wretch like me. You know, we don't, we don't really consider ourselves wretched, do we? It's not even really a word we use a lot. A sinner, we consider ourselves a sinner. You know, I've done things wrong, I've done things I shouldn't have done. But a, a wretch probably don't really do that a lot. But I am, I am guessing that the more wretched we consider ourselves to have been before Christ, the sweeter that word grace is. The more amazing that word grace is. John Newton probably very much understood and considered himself to be a wretch. And he was a, he was a drunk, he was a gambler. Uh, as you may know the story of his life, he was the captain of a slave ship. And even when he came to Christ, he gave up the drinking and the gambling, but he continued to be the captain of a slave ship. After a while though, as his conversion began to take root and his faith began to grow deeper, he, he became convicted about what he was a part of and began to change his life. But you know, it was said of his life that even later he was haunted by the 20,000 slaves that he delivered. Maybe that gives meaning to another line in his song, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And listen to this, "'And grace my fears relieved.'" He knew what it was to be a wretch. And he turned from that. And you know, he lived a, a really pretty incredible, maybe by human standards, we would say a very good life. He, he became a pastor. He became good friends with William Wilberforce. And the two of them together, really the two of them, brought slave trade in the British Empire to an end. But you know, even when you've turned and started to do good, even when you've turned and started to correct your ways, you can still kind of look back and deal with guilt, can't you? Some of us know what that is. Maybe even look back and be haunted by memories. And that's when John Newton clung to the grace of God and found that, amaze to be, that grace to be so amazing, so sufficient. You know, Paul, our apostle, would tell the same story, wouldn't he? If you know his story from Acts chapter 7, Paul called himself, considered himself not only to be wretched, but the chief of all sinners. Boy, we all want to be chief of something, don't we? I want to be in charge of something. I want to be on top of something. He said, I'm on top of something. I'm on top of all sinners. It was at the hand of Paul that the very first Christian was executed and martyred for his faith. It was at the hands of Paul that, that families were broken apart and carried off to prison and, and probably other horrible atrocities that in Paul's memory, he would remember back to what he was a part of and what he did. He too clung to the grace of God. And found it to be sweet. Found it to be amazing. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about these men's lives. When we talk about grace, when we talk about the gospel, have you noticed quite often we think about the life and then go back? We think about the life and the past. And we think about what the gospel, what the grace of God saved us from. You know, it saved me from being a murderer, a drunk, a gambler, an adulterer, a thief. It saved me from being wretched. But is that all that it does? Does it save us from being bad and bring us back to neutral? Does it save us to anything? 
I want us to look for the answer to that question this morning as we look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, let's look at verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I encourage you to grab one and and read along and and study here. We're going to be looking at seven verses this morning. Uh, You'll find Romans right after the Gospels and Acts in your New Testament. If you get to Corinthians, Galatians, you've gone too far. Go back. Uh, Romans chapter 1. We're beginning today uh, our study of this great letter in earnest. We've spent two weeks now kind of getting introduced to, getting a feel for the city of Rome, the church that was there. Uh, Paul, the writer of this letter, kind of the historical context. And now we're ready to dive in and start looking uh, at this letter verse by verse. And we're looking, we're going to see today that indeed God did save Paul from something. Saved him from being a murderer. Saved him from sin and death. But he also saved him to something. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh and was established as the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, we have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves, who are also Jesus Christ by his calling to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in these first seven verses is introducing himself. And would you believe in these first seven verses that we just read, that was one sentence. Paul was notorious for writing run-on sentences. Brilliant man, he just couldn't put a period down on a piece of paper. Uh, Now if you'll scan through your text there... Uh, probably most of your translations will add a period. Mine put a period, I think, at the end of verse 4. It, it puts a period. And that's accurate. That's good translation. When you're translating from one language to another, you're going to apply the, the, uh, the grammar, the punctuation of your language. But even in Greek, even in the Greek language, that was a run-on sentence. He just kind of went on and on and on with a thought, and he didn't put a period down until he'd finished his thought. But what's he doing in this one big long sentence? Just simply, he's introducing himself to this church. Now think about an introduction. You know, we've done that before. We've introduced ourselves, and you want to put your best foot forward, don't you? You, you want somebody to, to know something about you, to understand you. Maybe you want them to understand your character, your commitment, your background, your accomplishments. You want them to have a feel that they know you after you've introduced yourself. Paul could have introduced himself a lot of ways. He, he could have said, I'm, I'm the leader of the church. Certainly the lead thinker in, the, in this new burgeoning Christian church. He could have introduced himself as a Pharisee. You know, we think of that as a very negative term, don't we? Because kind of what we have read in the New Testament, but, but in this culture, in this day and age, I mean, that word Pharisee, it communicated somebody that was absolutely dedicated to education, that had learned, that, that knew a lot. I mean, he could have introduced himself that way. I mean, he is writing Rome. Maybe one of the key ways he could have introduced himself is, I'm a Roman citizen. He actually talks about being a Roman citizen in, in some of his other letters. That's a, that's a big deal. 
With that citizenship came a, a good bit of, of uh, privilege, came a good bit of, uh, of, of rights. And, and so that was a real standing. And he's writing Rome. What an opportunity to say, and I am a Roman citizen. But you didn't hear any of those things in what I just read, did you? No, Paul uses three words, three phrases to communicate who he is to this church. First of all, he says, Paul, what? A slave. Kind of an interesting word to introduce yourself with uh, to somebody, to a culture, especially the Roman culture, because, you know, in Rome, they hated slavery. They hated servitude. If, if, if you were in a servant, if you were a slave, that meant you had lost your freedom. That, that meant you had lost dignity. That, that was no position to be applauded or to be exalted. Now, I say in the Roman culture, but then I stop and think, is there a culture that lifts up the slave? Is there a culture that says, now this, this is the status that you want to be? No, of course not. We, we don't lift up the, the status of slavery anywhere. And yet this is how Paul introduces himself. He says, I am a slave. The translation you're reading probably says or might say a bondservant or a servant. That's an appropriate word. That's a synonym of, of slave, a good way to translate that. But it takes the edge off, doesn't it? I mean, if, I guess if I was choosing, do I want to be called a servant or a slave? I'd probably opt for servant, wouldn't you? Something about the word slave has just a, a little bit more edge on it. You know, in the Greek language, there was a word for servant. And it's not the word used here. The word used here is doulos, and it is the word slave. Paul says, I am a slave. And would you believe it? And I don't know this for a fact, but I think Paul's bragging here. Because you see, he has such a high and lofty view of God that there's nothing higher in all the universe than God, and he's showing himself tied to that God. He's showing himself in relationship to that high God, even in servitude. I'm higher than you, a king, because I'm connected to the, the Most High God. Boy, and that title says something about it does say something about his life, doesn't it? It says something about his agenda. I serve God. I serve God. He doesn't serve me. I serve God. When I wake up in the morning, I check in with God. What's my agenda for the day? God doesn't check in with me on what his agenda is for the day. We get that backwards, don't we? I think we all do. I, I, I think we have a tendency of God, here's my to-do list for today. If you could fix this, fix these three things, go here and make this happen, bless this, watch over this. We got, got you. God, here's your to-do list. I'm giving you your agenda for the day. And you know, God kind of, kind of allows that, doesn't he? That's kind of what prayer is about. In your prayer time, you stop and say, God, what's your agenda for me since you're actually the master in this relationship? What is it you have for me in this day? Paul introduces himself as a slave because you see, Paul knows something. We're all slaves. You are a slave. You see, Paul was saved from something. Paul was saved from sin and death. And he was saved to being a slave to the Most High God. Paul was saved to something. His relationship of serving God. Second word Paul uses of himself, he says, I'm an apostle. That literally means one who is sent. No more, no less. This person is sent with an attest. This person is sent with an assignment. 
you might know we refer a lot to the apostle, the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter and Matthew. That was an office in the New Testament. It was a spiritual gift in the New Testament. Uh, to be an apostle, one had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus. And one had to have received their commission, if you will, directly from him. Now, I hold the opinion that the office of apostle has passed, that that, that gift is no longer present. That's my opinion uh, in, in my understanding and study of Scripture. But Paul is an apostle. He is one who is sent. And if you think about it, he's still defining himself in relationship to God, isn't he? Paul, as he introduces himself, says, as I come to you, he doesn't say, now here's where my authority basis is. Here's why you should respect me. Here's why you should listen to me. Man, who he was was simply tied to who was sending him. His authority was the authority of the one who was sending him. He was just a messenger. His significance, his worth was tied to God. See, he was saved from what don't we see so much in our community? He was saved from trying to run around, trying to find worth and significance in so many things that fall short. And he was saved too, finding life and worth and significance in God. I'm one who was sent. And the third phrase he uses of his life, what does it say there? I am one who uh, was set apart, picked. I was chosen for the gospel. This is what I am a slave to. This is what I am uh, sent to do. This third phrase kind of ties together the other two phrases so that we now know when he talks about being a slave, being sent, being set apart, it is all around the gospel. The gospel is what defines his life, his work, his passion, his energy, his thoughts, his prayers. It's all centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he was a slave to. This is what he was sent for. This is what he was set apart for. And he tells us something about that gospel, doesn't he? Look, look down there in your scripture. He says, first of all, this gospel was what? It was promised. And the gospel is not the latest self-help idea. The gospel is not pop psychology. The gospel is not the the flavor of the day. You know, we're all looking for something to make life happy. We're all looking for something to make life better. Here, try this. No, it's not the latest fad. The gospel comes from a promise. A promise beforehand. It came through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What's the origin of the gospel? It's a promise that God made. That's where the gospel comes from. A promise that God made. We also learn something about the content of this gospel, what it's about. It is about Jesus Christ. That word gospel actually is an old Middle English word, and it simply means the good report. It means the the good story. In the Greek language, it's the word evangelon. And, And that word was used by a messenger who was coming from the battlefield And was delivering the evangelon. It was another word if it was bad news. But if it was good news. If I'm bringing a good report from the battlefield to the king. If I'm bringing a good report to the king from a distant part of the empire. Then I'm carrying the evangelon. I'm carrying the the good news. And for Paul life was always about the breaking news. Of the good story of Jesus Christ. I'm guessing Paul had a hard time talking about other things. I'm not saying he couldn't talk about other things or wouldn't talk about other things, but it was just always the good report. Have you ever had some really big news in your life? I mean, some of the best news in your life 
You know, maybe you were just got engaged. Maybe it's a pregnancy or a new job. But it's just it's this this big news. Now, when you're carrying that big news, you can talk about anything, can't you? And somebody wants to talk about the weather, you can do that. You can talk about the weather, you can talk about sports, you can talk about, you know, work or school. You can talk about anything. But aren't you kind of listening for where you can break in and talk about what just happened in my life? You know, you want to give that good news that you're carrying, that, that good report. Folks, Paul could talk about any news, but he was always looking about for an opportunity in every conversation, every relationship for the breaking news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's so, what's so great about the breaking news of, of Jesus Christ? Oh, man, look what it says here. He's the Son of God. Yeah, he looked like a human to us, didn't he? I mean, he had on flesh, had eyes, ears, fingers, looked just like us. Yeah, as a human, as a person in flesh, he was a descendant of David. Now, that phrase, he was a descendant of David, ties it back to the promise. Because the gospel or the Old Testament tells us what to look for when we know the promise is coming to fruition. And the promise was going to come through the line of David. So when Paul says he's from the line of David, he's referring to his humanity. This person, Jesus, that we know was a human being. He came through the line of David. He fulfilled the prophecy about the promise. But as a human, he was also the very Son of God. Undeniably proven Through the resurrection. You know, folks, there's a a lot of things that we might point to and use as evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The first thing would be the first thing we interacted with. We call it Christmas. We talk about the virgin birth, right? The the virgin birth would point to the deity of Jesus. But that's kind of hard to buy, isn't it? I mean, a virgin birth, how do you understand that? And what, what does that mean? How do we even know that's what it proves? And isn't it just Mary who said that? How do we know she's telling the truth? You can see how maybe people would say, well, yeah, that might be evidence, but I'm, I'm not even sure. Or maybe miracles. I mean, Christ doing miracles certainly points to his power uh, and, and what he had the ability to do. But other people did miracles, didn't they? Moses did miracles. Elijah, Peter, Paul. We don't call them the son of God. They did, they did miracles. So there are things that point to Jesus being the Son of God that line up as evidence. But there's one thing that absolutely undeniably sets him apart. Absolutely makes him unique. No other other person inside of the Christian faith can say this, inside the Jewish faith, inside of any other religion can say this. Jesus Christ conquered death. Jesus Christ rose again. This undeniably shows him to be, proves him to be the very son of God. And that's what the good story is about. And this good story not only has an origin in the promise, not only has a content in the person of Jesus, it has a purpose. Yeah, the story has a purpose. And it is to bring people, what does it say here? To obedient faith. That's the purpose of the gospel, to bring people to obedient faith. Why did we go to Nicaragua? To bring people to obedient faith. Why why did we go to Peru? To bring people to obedient faith. Why do you cross the street and start a conversation that might end up being about Jesus? Or maybe to invite somebody to church? Or cross the hallway to talk to a co-worker? Or cross the classroom to talk to another student? Why do we do that? To bring people to obedient faith faith that's what Paul was a slave to that's what he was sent to to do 
That's what he was set apart for. Just like you. you say, wait, wait, what do you mean just like me? It doesn't, that, my name's not in there. It says Paul, a slave of Christ. It didn't say anything about me. Are, are we slaves? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. says you're not your own. You were bought. It sounds a lot like slavery, doesn't it? You're owned by God. Bought by His blood. You're a slave. Well, was I, was I uh, uh, sent? H- have I received a commission? Have I been sent? Matthew 28, 18. Go. Do we even need to quote the rest of the verse? <laughs> Go. That sounds like a word that sends you, doesn't it? Go get me a glass of water. I've sent you to go do something. Go make disciples of all nations. You've been sent. Am I set apart for the gospel? 2 Timothy 4.2. I think put 1 Timothy. I noticed that typo last night. It's 2 Timothy 4.2. Look at this, folks. Before God in Christ Jesus. Would you hear the, the power of this verse? With witnesses, Paul says, with witnesses of God and Christ Jesus who are going to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and by His kingdom, I solemnly charge you proclaim the message. Have you been set apart for the gospel? Folks, you and I, we, we're slaves. We've been sent. We have been set apart for this. And as we look at Paul's life, as he's introducing him, what do I need to know about you, Paul? As he introduces himself, he shows a life that is defined and directed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, your life, my life, should be no less defined, no less directed by the gospel than is his. Do you realize every situation you've been through this last week was a platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every situation, the good, the bad, and the ugly that you'll face this week is potentially a platform for delivering the good story of Jesus. Every situation, every relationship, everywhere you go should be defined and directed by the gospel. Folks, I want to challenge you to take on a a little bit of a homework assignment, a little bit of an exercise this week. When you end each day, would you look back over the day and, and maybe even get out a pencil and paper and see what you can write down and ask this simple question, what was defined in my life today by the gospel? What, what, was, what direction did I take in my life this day because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did I, did, did I, did I stop and pray because of the gospel? Did I take on a conversation and, and prayerfully and, and, and try to move it toward the gospel? Did I have a certain attitude about an enemy because I didn't want to do anything that might ruin my opportunity to give the good story of Jesus? Folks, you know, if we can't get to the end of a day certainly the end of a week, and look back and see places over and over where my life was directed by the good story of Jesus. Where my life was defined by the good story of Jesus. There's a problem, isn't there? We haven't been saved from bad and brought to neutral 
Man, we've been saved from sin and death and hell and brought to a life of communicating the good story of Jesus. We've been saved too, living a life of worth and significance and impact. Do you realize you can do a thousand things this week and none of them will count into eternity? But when you take on the good story of Jesus, you can begin doing things every single day that will last forever. Only the gospel gives that opportunity. What an exciting thing to think I was saved from a life of temporary. And I was saved to a life of eternal. And being able to have an eternal impact on others. Your life and my life. Should be no less directed, no less defined. By the gospel of Jesus Christ. Than this man who just introduced himself to us. We call him Paul. Let's pray. Father, as I think about what I have just said. I am I am burdened. I am convicted. That I know I can look back and I can see a lot of days that were not defined and directed by the gospel. I'm sorry for that, Lord. You have saved me from being a wretch. You have saved me from living a life that will count for nothing, that will add up to nothing. And you gave me an opportunity to be a slave to and and sent for and set apart to carry the breaking news, the good news, the good report of Jesus Christ. It's changed me for eternity. And I have an opportunity to message, to carry that message. And Lord, I've had too many relationships, too many situations, too many days. That I didn't let the attorney, the eternal, I didn't let the gospel have any impact on. I'm sorry for that. And Lord, I pray that you would quicken my heart and mind. I pray for each person in this room that God, as we walk through this week, we just start having a discernment, start having our eyes open. I'm here, I'm a slave to the gospel. Where am I serving the gospel of Jesus in this day that God has set before me in these relationships, in these issues, in these problems, in these victories? How am I looking at these things to carry the good news of Jesus? God, may we be a people, individually, as a family, as a church, who faithfully, effectively, who daily carry the good story of Jesus Christ. When we introduce ourselves, does the gospel have to be included? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.